Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss Back from the Future Part 1, Episode 11 of Season 5 of Supergirl, through the lens of the topic of legacy. And we thought this would be a fitting topic because, obviously, when Shot has returned and his character, as we've talked about in our character profile for him, is very much concerned with the concept of legacy and trying to get rid of the dark shadow of Toy Man. And then we also had in this episode, Lena kind of leaning into the Luther legacy. And we also got some information about Kara and Nia's legacy in the future from Wynn. So, mm. And it was rather exciting that we got that information because they're a thousand years into the future mm. where Wynn is. And uh, I don't know about you, but like, what famous people and pop culture references from a thousand years ago do you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Good job, Kara and Nia, making a mark. Mm-hmm. And through these characters, we have seen a few different types of legacy. Your legacy can be through social impact or an ideology that you impart upon others that they carry into the future. And then, of course, descendants. And it was interesting because children came up a few times in this episode. They sure did. <laughs> Obviously, we had <laughs> Nia's descendants. Specifically, Wynn mentioned Nura Nall. And this is not the first time we've had a character from the future recognizing that kinship between Nia and her eventual descendant in the Legion. Mm-hmm. And then when Kara had that sort of super speed save, when the bomb was going off, she saved all the heroes, which kind of ties into a more like ideological legacy of like heroism but then she also saved a kid yeah that random child yes <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like these are the important things in this episode and win has a kid yes which was a very cute decision given that part of the reason jeremy ended up leaving was because he and his wife just had a baby mm-hmm. yes they also brought up how james runs a small town newspaper and mentors children and yes that is adorable it is <laughs> win was so excited for him mm-hmm And then another way that one can leave a legacy behind is through invention or innovation. Mm. And we saw a lot of that this episode, which obviously ties into the technology theme of the season. And we saw that obviously come into play with virtual reality at Obsidian Tech. And Andrea mentioned how they staked their reputation on pushing technology to the limits. So there's this idea of their image and Obsidian itself as something that Andrea wants to have a legacy as opposed to maybe an individual or an ideology. It's a company. But you also have the fact that Obsidian Tech is in part Andrea's legacy because it connects her to her family. Mm. And then we find out in the course of this episode that perhaps there is a darker side to that legacy and that the passing of time and the way history interprets people as either a hero or a villain masks some of those immoral decisions or actions that were made by these big names who are creating these technologies or innovating in other ways. Because we find out in the episode that Toy Man Win mm-hmm. is targeting the Rojas family because on his earth, they stole his father's technology and either took credit for it or used it somehow to further their own business and their own success. And that's actually really interesting because we have seen in the pre-crisis world kind of what Wynn's dad did with his technology. He did a lot of like animatronics and robotic toy development as an engineer. So having seen what Andrea's product looks like, which is nothing like that, it's very interesting to consider maybe what the technology that Wynn's dad was developing looked like in some of these alternate Mm. universes, essentially. Yeah. And what they might have done in his hands as opposed to 
the Rojas's. Mm. It's not like what the virtual reality technology is, what they stole from Wynn's father, but it'd be interesting to see what that looks like in his hands. But for the Obsidian Tech Company, we're seeing the virtual reality being used as a way to live out dreams of achievement, which aren't possible in the real world. Andrea described a situation where like in the virtual reality, you set a large family table out. You kick back at your villa. Yeah. <laughs> and create wine. <laughs> vineyard. It's it's Italy. Of course you'd have a vineyard. (laughs) Yes. And then you sell it for real money. And that phrase, you know, for real money, along with the idea that they'll be using the virtual reality lenses after they've come back from work, both jumped out at me as ways of basically targeting the working class, for instance, through escapism. Hmm. Yeah, we kind of talked about this in our last week's podcast as well, with regard to how it seems like Andrea is pitching the technology and what her goal is as far as why she wants people to engage with it and how she's going to hook them and kind of make them psychologically dependent on it. Hmm. But she's really pushing this idea of using her technology to have all the things that you maybe want in your life, but you can't obtain for whatever reason, selling this fantasy of what I think you cycles described as the idea of the American dream that you can work hard and improve your life and have the lifestyle and the things that you want to have. But with an underhanded goal of, well, once you have them, why would you ever want to go back to, you know, working your boring job? Mm -hmm. And there's also tied to this idea of the American dream, the concept of legacy, especially in relation to immigration and coming to America to live the American dream, which is something that perhaps alien immigrants are also experiencing on this earth, in that through hard work, you will be able to secure a life for yourself and then also secure a life for your children and then also perhaps make a mark on what America looks like in, for instance, creating a business. And and the virtual reality kind of offers something that looks kind of like that where you will have the opportunity to have your own business, but it may fall short in terms of the American dream with regard to legacy and if there's anything staying within that reality. Yeah. And that in combination with the way it's becoming more and more clear that Andrea is looking to take advantage of people who are already in kind of socially vulnerable positions in order to entice them to basically stop engaging with the rest of society Mm -hmm. is a little bit questionable. Yeah. (laughs) And as Cara says, no beach vacation can mask evil. A phrase that you pointed out to me. Well, they posted it on the Instagram for promo Mm. for this episode, which is why it jumped out to me for a reason I'll talk about again later. (laughs) But for me, I thought about in terms of truth and reporting, Mm. especially since it came from Cara, and how it will theoretically, hopefully prevail over escapism and perhaps Luther plans, which again brings up this idea of whether or not history will reflect the truth. And speaking of Kara, Wynne talked about her presence in the future and the legacy that she has left. He mentioned parents naming their children after the legendary Kara Zorel. And that it's apparently a very popular choice. Yes. It's also kind of a funny little comment about how Kara Zorel has become a popular name because when Supergirl was introduced as a character into the comics, Kara was an exotic kind of foreign sounding name. Mm. And that's why she had an alternate identity that went by a different name. Linda. (laughs) And yeah, it's kind of like a, a meta commentary on how much society has even changed since the creation of Supergirl as a character that that name is now common enough that it blends in. Yeah. 
And in the future, apparently, it's like a, a Sarah or an Emily. <laughs> yes. And I thought it was interesting that he named specifically Cara Zorel. Hmm. One, because like maybe they don't know that she's Cara Danvers. That would be interesting. Mm, true. And because of Cara's relationship with her Kryptonian identity and the name Zorel and that legacy. For instance, in season two, she said she was ashamed to be Zorel and Allura's daughter, specifically Zorel in that case because of the Medusa virus that he created. But the way that Jean actually, director dad, <laughs> <laughs> responded to Cara expressing this shame was that her parents' legacy is not death and destruction. Cara Zorel, it's you, which seems to have come true in that perhaps she is the most or one of the most resilient elements of Kryptonian culture in the future and that she's still well known. And just recently in, you know, the crisis crossover in the Supergirl episode, Kara expressed how fighting for what's right is what keeps Krypton's spirit alive. And that sort of element of fighting for what's right is definitely still present in the 31st century. We know because (laughs) especially like, for instance, the Legion of Superheroes and how they were told these stories of her and then also through the heroes that she has personally influenced. Like Wynne says, being in your orbit, it's inspiring. I really liked that quote in the context of thinking about in our last week's podcast episode, we talked about what is constant, what is the same in this new universe. And We still have a win who is 100% Kara's best friend and has zero regrets about getting tangled up in all her shenanigans Mm. and going along for the ride, even though it's dangerous and it's put him in some uncomfortable and weird situations. So that was really in terms of seeing what's the same in order to recognize what's different. Mm. That was a great moment there. Yeah. And we've seen him shape up to be quite the little hero. Yes, which actually is a little bit of a callback to how we saw him in the Earth X crossover, where he had become the leader of the Resistance. And Alex was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, a bit of a a shock both times. (laughs) But he is part of the Legion. And in terms of Kara, this it's inspiring to be in your orbit message that Wynn sends reflects what we see with the Super Friends and how she inspired Nia last season. Jean has spoken about how she has inspired him to be the type of hero that he is now. Obviously, she inspired Monel, who then created the Legion of Superheroes around her ideology and the values that she has, you know, speaking of different kinds of legacy, which is like, you know, big swooping, like heroic impact on the future. But then she also has a legacy in a smaller scale with the Space Fam and the Super Friends and having sort of a legacy of friendship that has set the tone within the group and then spread to future groups. Yeah. So... First of all, Wynn. <laughs> Our good son, Wynn, who was missing from the space family yes. dynamic. And it kind of ties back to thinking again of Constance. Kara and her inherent hopefulness and belief in the good in people and what that actually does for impacting not just them, but the people that they touch and spreading out in this kind of way that connects to this idea of legacy. Mm. You have Kara as Wynn's very first friend who helped him face all of the emotional baggage that he was carrying over his father's crimes, his fear that he would become like that himself, and to recognize that he has his own strengths and his own ways of facing problems that make him different Mm -hmm. in a way that then carries forward in his life, which we'll talk about more in a minute. And we also see Kara not just boost Wynn's sense of self 
as a friend, but then genuinely ends up inviting him, in essence, into her family through that friendship by starting out with Friendsgiving, which is there anything more like being part of the family than sitting through an uncomfortable fight <laughs> between your sibling and a parent? Yes. Um, <laughs> but that started a tradition yeah. for them. And Kara's has expanded the reach of that family and pretty much brings in every person she interacts with. Uh, And actually, if you think about in terms of legacies, that extension of friendship of family ties from Kara is directly rooted in the way she was accepted and made part of the family with the Danvers. Mm -hmm. So there's that too. She wanted to (laughs) welcome them into that kind of atmosphere. And I thought it was funny how Kara saw William with his sad sandwich. (laughs) She was so offended by that sandwich. And invited him to game night. And it reminded me of when she initially invited Wynn to Friendsgiving because he was going to spend the holiday alone and he was also going to eat Thai food. <laughs> yeah, but Thai food is still better than that sad looking <laughs> hunk of bread. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a desperate need here. But in, in this episode, she brought William to game night, which is another staple in the space family and super friends. And it occurred to me that I don't think the other like DC TV shows that their hero groups of friends really have stuff like that. Like they don't hang out and socialize like that? Not in the kind of organized fashion that we see <laughs> with Kara. That's so because of Kara. Yes. And if they do, it would be probably in seasons I haven't seen. So like later seasons in the show. But with Supergirl, it's like baked into the DNA of it. Yes. Game Night had to live on even in season one. <laughs> yes. So she gets everyone to be kind of a big extended family. And she's kind of always the first person to ask other people to be friends and then, you know, in a lot of cases, there are ripple effects to that in their lives. But in terms of friends, I do want to come back to Wynn and talk about him more in large part because this is the first time that he's been back since the end of season three. And you miss him. <laughs> I personally have missed his presence yes. as part of the space family. But also, he's only going to be here through the 100th episode, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason he is so front and center in the story of this episode is because he's here for such a limited time when you're dealing with those kind of scheduling constraints you have to make the most of your guests so we got some really good insight into seeing what has changed for when just because he went to the future versus what has changed for when maybe because the earth is different now <laughs> and yeah. how those things intersect yes i titled the section a tale of two legacies because we have toy man win and then we have our win space fan win and both of them are trying to secure their own legacies in this episode and the other win is an obstacle to that legacy that they're trying to ensure. So when comes back from the future to prevent Toy Man from assorted terrorist activity. From being a life ruiner. He ruins people's lives, to quote Mean Girls. (laughs) He's mean, and that's what's different. And so, (laughs) but we see a Toy Man, a win who is stuck in the past, to contrast with our win. And the usage of names in this episode was interesting, especially in relation to legacy. Mm. Obviously, we talked about Car Zorel, but here, this other win is using the name that his father used for himself. And he says, Toy Man is eternal, which we find out has a double meaning, which we'll discuss. But he specifically wants to clear that name 
Lex, you know, propositions him by saying, wouldn't you like to show them how wrong they were, you know, about Wynn's father? And Wynn, in his monologue to himself, says, I will accomplish what you could not. So he's obviously trying to take what his father did and turn it into a legacy for himself. And there's this interesting idea that we see pop up with them in relation to legacy and the idea of preserving the individual identity for the future, as opposed to, say, descendants or an ideology. The toy man win wants to, for instance, use social media to become popular. And he claims, he says, this is my legacy. You've seen the people, they adore me. And then once that validation, but we see that social media trolling is not actually lasting, thankfully. Oh, you mean like it doesn't endure over a long period of time? Nope. Thank God. <laughs> well, because it, I mean, it's, it's about instant gratification mm-hmm. to a large extent. And also the internet is permanent, but it's also one accident away from disappearing forever. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is both unchanging and ephemeral. One accident uh, or, or legislation. Yeah. But Wynn brings up that there's anti-trolling legislations that are in place in the future. Stopped World War Three, Which, honestly, <laughs> given the fact that the president of the United States sometimes tweets things that could start a war. Fair. A valid prediction. Yeah. And then obviously Wynn points out that the people who are like responding to Toy Man on social media don't love him. Yeah. And we find out that, you know, he's just wanted in the future. He hasn't, like, shaped the way things operate. He's just some terrorist from the past. And in terms of, like, preserving an individual's identity, his dad wanted to be the biggest toy maker of all time, which kind of reminded me of, like, Lex's ego-driven innovation and how he operates all of the time. With that eye on making a name for himself Mm. and making a splash in the biggest possible attention-grabbing way. Yeah. And we also find out that Wynn's dad wanted to, quote unquote, live forever, possibly literally. Yikes. Because at the end of the episode, we saw that flash of Toy Man Wynn, a video of him, or perhaps his digital consciousness, Mm. which may tie into how his father was working with virtual reality technology on his earth. True. That would be interesting. And trying to live there indefinitely, I suppose. And all of this is in contrast with Arwin, who has his eyes on the future and, you know, returning to his identity as a legionnaire and that group of people. And then most importantly, preserving his family and saving his child from being wiped out of existence. And this is growth for him as a character, because like he expressed in this episode, growing up, I was constantly burdened by my father's crimes. But then he says, but that kind of pales in comparison to saving my own future. And he emphasizes creating your own legacy as opposed to, say, trying trying to fix what happened in his past and dwelling on what his father did. And he's had this kind of outlook since season three, when he revised his understanding of his own history, kind of tying into that idea of whether or not we have the truth about the past. Mm. Because his mother revealed what his father had always been like. Yeah, that was always such a striking scene in season one, where he confesses to Kara the fear that his genes are ticking time bombs just waiting to go off Mm -hmm. like he had so convinced himself as a child that his dad had a trigger and it just snapped and he's been afraid his whole life up to that point in season three that that will happen to him kind of subconsciously. And then when he has to confront his mom and take in new information as an adult about maybe how his perceptions of things were off, he finally gets that reassurance that no, it wasn't just one thing. And there is absolutely hope for him because that's not how he responds to problems. Mm-hmm. That's not how he responds to hardship. Yeah. I mean, if you think about legacy genes. <laughs> yes, genetics are 
are definitely <laughs> something to consider. So understandably, that had been sort of hanging over his head. But that helped him work past his core belief that he expressed in season three that he doesn't deserve anything, which put him in a place to be able to create the life that he has. And that was through mending that relationship with his mother. Which then makes it really sweet and fitting that he ended up deciding to name his child after his mom. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it was kind of interesting to see the contrast in terms of names and legacy with mm. Arwen and Mary and being sort of focused on the future and like, this is my kid. Yeah. Versus the presence of the toy man name that he takes. And then the contrast of taking his father's name versus taking his mother's. Yeah. So that was nice. It was. And in terms of priorities, we also saw him shift from showing Elon Musk how it's done and kind of wanting to secure a legacy in terms of innovation and invention to then protecting his family is his priority. She's also my greatest accomplishment, my little Mary. She's my legacy. Aww. <laughs> So we see this, you know, contrast between Toy Man and Win and the past and the future. Mm. But we also see having your eyes fully on the future isn't necessarily the best way to be. Moderation is also good. <laughs> yeah. Win was so focused on the future and his immediate present in the future that he at first doesn't quite register that here are his friends that he hasn't seen in years who are dead in the time that he lives in. Um, and they kind of have to prompt him to actually be like, oh, right, I don't have you in my life right now. Let me fill you in on things. And to be present in the situation that he's in. Which is interesting, actually, in terms of history and kind of forgetting that people of the past were real people. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's also interesting in the sense that culturally the United States tends to be somewhat future-oriented mm. versus other countries with much longer histories that tend to have more of a respect for tradition and the past and to look back towards the past. Mm. So that's kind of intriguing as well, especially since you noticed that in this episode, this contrast comes up a few times with, am I seeing the people in front of me who are my friends or who are offering me friendship? Mm -hmm. Or am I thinking of myself and my future and missing those opportunities? Mm -hmm. Like you have the scene with Lena and Andrea where Andrea is taking it at face value and thinking that Lena is being sincere and genuinely wants to mend their friendship. But Lena has already had it planted in her head that she can't have friends. Mm -hmm. So she's just using it as a means to an end and is thinking about how it's kind of like a strategic move on her chessboard yeah. to get her to the end of the game. And speaking of games, <laughs> when in contrast, after he kind of recalibrates his priorities, if you will, and then has a conversation with Brainy about recalibrating priorities, he actually decides he's going to stay for game night. Like, he ended up here, so he's going to embrace it and enjoy that time that he has mm -hmm. with his friends because he doesn't know how much more of it he'll get. Yeah. And in that conversation with Brainy, he expressed that, like, oh, it is kind of nice that I'm back here, even though there was that threat to my future. I'm grateful to have gotten to see my friends again. And speaking of Brainy. <laughs> yeah, who passed on game night so that he wouldn't make Nia uncomfortable. But apparently he is Wynn's secret weapon at Trivial Pursuit, <laughs> which 
seems unfair. <laughs> yeah. Frankly. Brittany can just search um, the internet without <laughs> doing right. anything. Yeah. With Brittany in this episode, we saw him kind of worry about perhaps becoming more aligned with his family's legacy. Hmm. And the audience is worried too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that actually nicely parallels the issues we've seen with other characters that Brainy's been aligned with, both Wynn and Lena. Mm, kind of set up to be a little bit torn and in the middle between Lena and Lex versus Wynn, who's like, come to game night. <laughs> so that's a nice observation. But we saw the concept of legacy with Brainy pop up in this episode when Wynn brought up how he's fighting in the future with the Legionnaires against Brainy's cousin, which just kind of reminds you that there's this long history with the Brainiacs that is weighing on Brainy at the same time as he is having difficulties with his decision. Mm. But there's a little bit of a distance between Brainy, I feel, and, and the audience at this time. I actually really liked the way that they played it in this episode. Mm, yes. And it's interesting because we're seeing a very different Brainy because his personality inhibitors are gone. We're seeing the outside box, mm. but we don't know what remains inside the rest of the boxes. Yes. What is inside? But we're seeing it at the same time as we're seeing this other win, the Twin mm. Man win, who has become like his father. And he's working with this other win. So it's like concerning. Yeah, a little bit. But Brady feels like a bit of a stranger right now. And to the characters, because Nia and the super fam were discussing how it must be difficult for Brainy and like what he's like mm. and how he must be trying to figure out who he is. And then there's also this moment where Brainy is kind of shockingly like rude to win when he says you should have with regard to catching the mm. toy man and Karin and Alex are like Brainy. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't rude in the sense that he was actively being rude. Mm. It was rude in a almost distracted sort of way because yeah. he realized that something had gone wrong mm -hmm. and he didn't know why. Yes. And to Car and Alex, it read as him being, you know, off. Yeah. It's actually kind of reminiscent of when he was struggling with getting his calculations right back in the beginning of season four mm. when Kara needed help at Elcorp. Yeah. When he has other things going on, it could be hard for him, but he doesn't have people to lean on in this case. And then also Nia has that dream of Brainy turning into a tiger and attacking her. <laughs> so there's a sense of like threat from Brainy. And then for the viewer, we see him working against the main characters and in secrecy. He has this like different darker music playing behind his scenes, mysterious music. In the beginning of the episode, in the first scene, toward the end, his face is covered by the helmet and like he has this like edgy clothes on. <laughs> See, now I thought that that had a really Alex energy to it. Oh, fair. Especially because he was being so serious. Mm-hmm. And like very precise in setting up all of the various pieces of his trap, if yes. you will. Maybe he's channeling her in terms of having to make decisions by himself. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, she is the director. See, mentorship. We talked about that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then there's kind of more of a break toward the end of the episode where we're like, okay, Brenny clearly is not happy with the situation. But it's also slightly concerning when he says, and I'm terrified that I'm becoming the bad guy, which is kind of meta in a sense where like is he playing an antagonistic role mm. in the storyline yeah brainy is assuring us well he assured lena <laughs> when she seemed a bit surprised to see him working with lex first like she was concerned for him and second like she was concerned he was spying on them and going to ruin her plans yeah and he's like no no i operate only on logic now <laughs> therefore 
I'm cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Except he's not really. And that's actually been some of his assimilation struggle since he's come mm. to this time period in terms of having to grapple with the fact that his feelings exist and need to be integrated with the rest of him. And like he says to win, he's having a really hard time staying cold and detached in order to take the advice from the other brainiac when all he wants is to have those connections with people. It actually mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of when Alex tried to give Kara the advice to be cold and be distant to defeat Rain, and that ended up being the opposite yeah. of what she needed to do. Mm -hmm. So hopefully Brainy will somehow make a journey to understanding that maybe that other Brainiac 5 was not correct and make friends again. <laughs> I hope so, because that would definitely tie back to Kara's belief in being stronger together and reinforcing that that's important. Yeah. And he did make the step of telling Wynn the truth. Yeah, which was, it felt like a very Supergirl move. It did. Usually they'll like kind of resolve the thing mm -hmm. that you don't want to drag out for too long. And they did like a little bit, but then they still managed to find a way to keep going with it. And it was kind of like in last week's episode where he was like, I need to go do this by myself and you should come with me, Supergirl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. There's, there's definitely a struggle happening here. Yeah. But now we should talk about Nia and her legacy represented within this episode. As we mentioned, we heard more about Nora Nail, Nia's descendant. And Wynne gives Nia some advice that Nora had given him before, which was never let anyone make you question your own worth. That was a very Supergirl quote, <laughs> like for the show, not literally Kara. Yes. Uh. And it felt like a very Nia quote. Mm -hmm. Something that perhaps she expressed to her children and then kind of that thread of giving good mom talks. <laughs> thread of good mom talks <laughs> carried into the future. But that sort of brings to mind the concept of ideology as legacy and how for Nia, her journey has been about kind of accepting that she deserves to be in the role that she is in mm. as a superhero and as a reporter. So to see that that lesson of not letting anyone make you question your own worth has carried on into the future across generations and is reflected in Nora now. It was really nice to see. Yeah. The other thing in terms of like ideology being related to legacy and that quote being something very true to the core of the show, mm -hmm. they played up in this episode very subtly, but a lot more than they have in a while, the similarities between Nia and Kara. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it was kind of very subtly building on this theme of how do you create a legacy? What is it? And why does it endure, perhaps? Yeah. And then related to the legacy in terms of being a superhero and, and learning how to be a superhero, <laughs> we had Nia discovering more new things about her power. <laughs> yes, we did. And we also saw that Wynn had his Legion ring set up to use dream energy. And it was kind of funny to see Nia be like, I didn't know I could do that <laughs> with the power because we're also a little bit like, what can Nia do? What are her... <laughs> yeah. What, what do those powers do? <laughs> yes. What can't she do, really? <laughs> so that was just a nice tidbit that the dreamer powers have endured, which also ties into Nia initially not thinking that she deserved to be dreamer and kind of seeing that she's the one who mm, true. has carried it into the future. And the last legacy that we have to talk about is the legacy of the Luthers. Lena in this episode was grouped within that title by Lex. He said, Lena, just the Luther I was hoping to find, which just struck me, A, in terms of names and legacy, which we've talked about a bunch. Mm, yeah. And 
how it was reinforced so much with all the different characters and mm-hmm. their connections to either the past or the future or both. Yes. And then B, in terms of Lena's relationship with the Luther name and how previously it hadn't been as easy to group her in with that name. <laughs> mm. Because she's working with Lex now. So to hear him say, just the Luther I was hoping to find and not kind of bristle at it like she doesn't belong there. Or like not to see her be like, I don't want to be attached to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so we see a resurgence of Luther energy (laughs) in a a big way in this episode. But specifically, we see how much this altered world in combination with Lena's maybe dual memories have really pushed her over into believing Lex and Lillian's dismissiveness about friendship Mm -hmm. and the value of it, which is a psychological abuse tactic that they are using to isolate Lena, much the way that you would see in any kind of emotional abuse or domestic violence situation. You want the person to feel like they're alone Mm -hmm. because then it's easier to control them. And it's made very clear in this episode that all of that is not only taking a toll on her, but that it is working and she hasn't noticed yet that it's working. Yes. We see her also in terms of legacy, reject the concept of friendship and instead like use it to her advantage. But she focuses on achieving her goals, which are ideological and innovative in nature in terms of legacy and no longer values friendship, which then aligns her with the rest of her family in terms of Mm. the Luther legacy. And she chooses that ideological innovative goal of Myriad and the Q waves and brainwashing over embodying maybe a more friendship-based legacy that she had previously expressed wanting when she was excited to work with Supergirl and said, a Luther and a Super working together. And she was like, who would imagine that? And also this kind of withdrawal from any friendship ties or connection to people outside of the Luther family connects back to something that Lena said to Kara very early on in season three mm-hmm. about how Luthers have minions, not friends. And <laughs> We definitely saw Lena go back to that place after she felt like Kara had betrayed her because she takes Eve and turns her into a minion in all of the ways. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she doesn't want to believe that her friendships with anyone were real, basically, at this point. And we see that reflected in how she interacts with Andrea in this episode. Yeah, that actually got people's attention in terms of looking at audience reactions. This is probably the first example of things Lena's been doing all along for a while now where there was genuinely a reaction of, oh, that was not good of her to do mm-hmm. without too much defense of it. Because it felt mean. Yeah, especially knowing that we got the backstory of why Andrea made the decisions she did and that much like Kara, she felt guilty about not telling Lena. Mm-hmm. To see Lena know all of that and then make it seem like she's empathizing with Andrea and being very genuine in the moment, only to find out that she doesn't actually care at all. Yeah. Yeah, that is very jarring and very cold. Mm. Um, but speaking of cold, <laughs> yes, speaking, speaking of cold, this episode also narratively really started to make it clear how Lex is setting Lena up to grow more dependent upon him for her successes and for her emotional validation and her emotional needs. It's kind of like what he talked about in 
dealing with Red Daughter, but he's not explaining it here. You just see the evidence of it, which was really nicely done. Mm-hmm. For example, when he makes the comment about, oh, the Luther I was hoping to see, Lena's upset with him because he blew her off after promising that he'd help her with her research. Mm-hmm. And she makes it very clear that she needed him in that moment. And mm-hmm. he is entirely dismissive of her. He intentionally keeps her waiting until the point at which she will be upset because when you're emotionally vulnerable, it's easier to manipulate you. And then when she confronts him about it, he gaslights her a little bit. And he acts like he's forgotten all about the fact that he was supposed to be there in a passive-aggressive kind of way and mentions his own side project and how Lena needs to help him with that first and then he can make time for her. Hmm. The interesting thing about this is, is that Lex is multiple steps ahead of Lena and she's here thinking that she will see what he's doing coming and be a check on it. And she has no idea that, much like Brainy was concerned, that he couldn't predict Lex in this episode, we discover as the story unfolds, not only did Lex not forget that he had promised to help Lena, he's already figured out how to help her while making it look like he's not helping her and serving his own agenda so that after he acquires the cube from Wynn's ship, he can just turn up at a moment when Lena is feeling stuck and defeated and give her the resource that she needs to make the progress on her project, which, number one, puts him back in that position of being the hero. Hmm. And number two, it reinforces the role that he historically played in her life as the big brother coming to the rescue, which he intentionally emphasizes throughout their final scene in the episode by mentioning that sibling dynamic repeatedly, like, oh, wouldn't mom love it to know that we're playing so nicely with our toys? And he also rewards her with the thing that she needs, thanks her for doing something that he asked Mm. her to do, and comments upon how well she is working with him. Mm -hmm. So he's really, really laying on all of the emotional triggers to keep Lena in a position to not be able to figure out what he's up to. And given that he is helping her to the point that it's part of his plans, <laughs> means much like with the serum that she created, he wants her project for something, <laughs> which is not good. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that was really cool about the scene at the end with Lex and Lena talking about the Q waves and her ability to move on with her project and they're going to figure out Leviathan, he has Lena take the cube and he tells her to think of whatever it is that she wants. And as she does so, we see the little hologram of herself morph into this like idyllic scene of a beach, (laughs) which was really fitting because that fades into Game Night at Kara's. And think back, the beginning of the episode started with Game Night at Kara's and Kara making the observation that no beach vacation can mask evil and then it cut to the Luthers. (laughs) So there was a really nice intentional bookend ending in the script and in the cinematography to connect those two ideas together. So <laughs> we'll see what happens with those wily Luthers. <laughs> yes. And speaking of seeing what will happen with the Luthers, the concept of history, perhaps not reflecting the reality of the past, came up with Lex in this episode mm. a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First, just generally the idea of history and being on the right side of it. And that kind of ideological, I suppose, legacy came up when Brainy said, 
said this time Lex Luthor is on the right side of history. Is he though? Is he though? <laughs> uh, well, apparently, because when comes back from the future and says, Lex Luthor, the hero. <laughs> and Kara had that, like, I'm trapped in a nightmare face again. <laughs> yeah, Kara and Alex's faces were excellent once again. And Wynn is kind of generally shocked to find out what has happened while he was gone and what happened in the past from his perspective. Mm. So being from the future does not mean that Wynn understands everything that's happening or has like a bird's eye view of it. Mm. There's a lot that he did not know. And in terms of Lex Luthor, the hero, we saw <laughs> him have action figures, which is like, why? <laughs> they Yeah. And they were on the same display table as the Supergirl ones, just to add insult to injury. Oh, gosh. And he talked about thinking that they would be a collector's item, being surprised that there weren't less of them on the table left. And that idea of it being a collector's item, like something that you keep forever, <laughs> obviously connects to the idea of legacy. And for Lex, legacy is, like it was with Wynn's father, preserving his individual identity through innovation and invention. And he said to William, with regard to using Shelly Island as an energy source, this planet is in an energy crisis. I'm just trying to do my part. Look, at least he's a sort of public figure who will acknowledge that <laughs> climate change is real. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but we don't know if like he's got some aliens in there. And obviously, like solving an energy crisis would write your name into the history books because mm. securing the future of the entire planet is kind of a big deal. <laughs> but then again, Myriad was meant to solve the climate crisis too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, they lost, so <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> but more importantly, it was unethical. <laughs> that was unethical. But we don't know that whatever Lex is doing isn't secretly unethical because the first plan he had for Shelly Island... Oh, I'm sure it is. ...certainly was not unethical. <laughs> but that ties into the idea of like, he could do that and nobody would know when might never find out in the future. It's like a more sinister version of that scene in B99 where Captain Holt tells Jake about the hula hooping. And he's like, why are you telling me this? Because no, one, no really one will ever believe you. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But we do have Kara and William trying to use their reporting skills to make sure that history has it right. And uh, Frost Nixon him, <laughs> as Lex says. Yes. Which is a reference to the journalist who exposed Nixon's corruption and got him impeached. Mm. Hey. Hey. And then our last character that we want to address in terms of looking at legacies and what we may have learned about their personal legacy in this episode is Jean. Yes. Papa Bear, as Wynne affectionately <laughs> declared at the sight of him. Yes. Jean wasn't in this episode a ton because as we'll talk about a little bit, David Harewood directed this episode, but we did see him invite everyone into the tower and see how he has created something that to throw back to our last episode is constant and hopefully will have some staying power and be a place where these heroes can go for the foreseeable future and kind of give their group of heroes specifically a place to go in a way that the DEO can't remain mm. or any of the other little institutions that we have set up in the show. And that had a big sense of legacy, kind of like connection to the Super Friends and to our DC TV Justice League. Yeah. I mean, it lends itself to the point that you made earlier about Kara creating a legacy of her own by just being such a warm and inviting person and making people want to be friends with her. Because if you look at 
all of the characters who are included on the little signal button, they are all characters <laughs> where Kara's kind of like <laughs> decided she's going to befriend them. Yes. And then they all turned out to be superheroes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's expanded that community. Sign me up for being Kara's friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the other thing about it that's interesting is that Wynn mentions that there is a version of this Justice League still in the future. And we knew from the previous version of our Earth that Jean was still alive in the future mm-hmm. because Monel mentioned that. And so it's also a little bit of a hint maybe that Jean is still a presence in a way mm-hmm. and still has a little bit of a hand in shaping the future and protecting the legacy of his children and himself. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of things that Jean slash David has a hand in <laughs> directing this episode. Yeah. A big hand. <laughs> yes. We wrapped up our topic discussion and now we have some questions and our end episode thoughts. Yes. And so my first thought for the end of this episode was just major, major kudos mm-hmm. to David for the directing on this episode because this is only his second episode he's directed. And in terms of the level of difficulty, if you will, this was a big step up. This was a much more complex episode mm. as far as being someone who's relatively new to directing on like an action genre show. There were a lot of moving pieces in this one and there was a lot of variety to the content. You had those nice kind of talking head moments or character development scenes to kind of slow it down and to make it a little bit less complicated in terms of logistics. But he also got to do some really big stunt pieces and some scenes that involved a lot of actors moving in and out and transitions happening. So nicely done. Yes. Specifically, and David mentioned this on Twitter about how it was really difficult to plan, but that opening scene with Brainy strategizing how to knock over the bus is deceptively simple in some ways (laughs) because it only requires two actors, but it's actually complex when you have to think about how to translate all of this stuff that's going on inside Brainy's head that's words on a page, but you have to make it visual with no dialogue. Dialogue. Hmm. It's nighttime, so you've got to figure out how to make it work with the lighting and all of that. Yeah. And you're coordinating multiple stunts and effects and multiple different kinds of camera angles and figuring out how to put it all together. So props to David. Yes. <laughs> the other thing that was really nicely done in this episode, and that doesn't always happen, is that the intentional parallels in the text of the script came through in the way that the episode was filmed and put together, mm-hmm. particularly that idea of how they framed it with those bookends of having like a Kara and family game night scene segueing into Luther business partners at the beginning of the episode and then flipping it and going Luther partners back into Kara and family. The way it was structured was played up very nicely so that you felt that consistency and the through line of it. Mm. It also must have just been really nice to have David at the helm with Jeremy coming back. Yes. Jeremy Jordan as when kind of having the fam back together and it kind of feeling like their project, you know? Yeah. Mm. So that must have been cool. The whole thing just radiated like a very excited energy. Yes. And I I think that the energy of this close-knit group of people came through very nicely Mm. in ways where sometimes it was more of a background presence, which I appreciated. We also have some questions from assorted Tumblr users. So our first one, I'm going to just take a stab at how to pronounce this. So feel free to send us a follow-up message (laughs) if you'd like us to know for the future. It's from user General Svein. General (laughs) S-V-E-I-N. If Andrea is not under the orders of Leviathan yet, 
How much does she know about the power of the medallion and why Russell is still dead? Because wasn't he under Leviathan's control for Andrea? We don't know for sure that Andrea even knows Russell on this earth. Oh, true. We don't. If she did, she may not have had suspicions about him being killed for any particular reason, or she may. (laughs) But we haven't seen it mentioned yet, which is kind of sad because Andrea had some character growth with regard to Mm. Leviathan through that storyline. So my guess is it'll come back. Yeah. But it'll be nice to see maybe her relationship with the medallion will change. Yes. And that might be a better origin story. Yeah, because that was, yeah. Yeah. So speaking of taking the opportunity to reboot. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's unlikely that she knows anything about the power of the medallion, I'd say. Yeah. Well, they're also setting up an investigative adventure story of some sort Mm. with Kara and with William in terms of untangling what happened with all of those characters. So I expect that we will get more information Mm -hmm. as the back part of the season goes on. Yes. Next question is from Cyclone Rachel. So do you think Brainy suddenly having and using a motorcycle is another thing that he picked up from movies as being popular or attractive in the 21st century? Or was this something that he learned from the Danvers sisters as a thing he should know how to do? Also, what would Alex's symbol be on that call sign panel? So we kind of answered the first part already in that I think Brainy was channeling a little bit of an Alex energy Hmm. in his demeanor in that scene and his precision with which he was plotting. Hmm. Although he's kind of like that anyway. Although it also fits his Keanu Reeves energy. Yeah, it does have that like, I am in stealth mode and I need to dress this way. And also, if you think back to the beginning of season one, Mercy and Otis made that escape on the motorcycles. Hmm. So it could be something that he thinks is just, you know, what you do when you're on a clandestine mission. (laughs) What would Alex's symbol be on the call sign panel? She doesn't have one, which was a little bit sad. Probably because she doesn't have a symbol, but we're going to fix that. (laughs) She also doesn't have any superpowers, but I was like, but neither does Kate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What would it be? I Her little alien gun. Yes. Maybe. Although I don't like associating her with guns, though. Yeah, that's the only issue that I've had with like turning that's, it into They've that. been trying to move away from it a little bit. Like Kyler's talked about that. Maybe like something to do with her gloves. Or like the – well, because we commented on in this one spoiler picture that Kyler posted on her Instagram how the suit in that picture still got the same like texture on the arms Mm. as Alex's DEO suit. So maybe something with that – with the like reinforced like armory texture on it in that pattern. Yeah. Maybe the magnet – maybe like a a circular – Oh, like her little – her magnet gloves. Magnet glove thing. That's hard to – yeah, it's hard to represent. Maybe they just didn't do it because they couldn't think of something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Probably. Probably. That's like easily recognizable. <laughs> or kind of like the shape of her outfit that she has something to do with that. I mean, Nia's is like a weird little spiral thing. So because yeah, of her wave powers. It's like the emoji. The- <laughs> it is. I'm like, oh, it's like a Nautilus shell. Yeah, I, I don't know. Get a graphic designer, you know, just just go at it. Like, <laughs> So our next question came from an anonymous user and they asked for the podcast. This is not specifically about the latest episode. But do you think that the cast is way too bloated? Like there's too many characters. It feels like Supergirl or Kara has been lost in this. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty fair. That's fair. They, I think they could do a better job even with the amount of people that they have with focusing on Kara. But that probably mm. does contribute. Yeah, there's still 
a lot of Kara being the stable presence that reassures everybody, but we're not getting the insight into Kara's emotional journey or Kara having kind of proactive storylines. We're starting to get it a little bit with her wanting to take down Lex. Mm -hmm. But again, that still almost feels like she's reacting to the situation with Lex. And we haven't seen enough of her expressing her own feelings and just having like those quiet moments that are about herself. Mm -hmm. In terms of like reacting to Lex, perhaps after this episode, it felt like maybe she'll be more proactive with that. Because she had had reasons that she expressed, like plot wise, for mm. not wanting to pursue and instead being on the defensive. But perhaps with William, she'll have more like agency in terms of seeking that out. Yeah, we'll have to see. But just from having done some analytical looks at the show over the years, I will say that the average number of characters has nearly doubled mm-hmm. since season one, and that's just too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tis. Comica Girl asks, question for the 511 podcast ep, favorite space fan moment? Or if you're in the mood for a lighter meta question, we got to see a pretty great Super Friends game night. Given the new characters slash dynamics of the group, who is now the reigning champ of, and then insert board game of your choice. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So favorite space fan moment was absolutely all three of the children (laughs) making a beeline for that secret elevator, (laughs) especially the little moment of Alex being like, don't push at wind. (laughs) And then going to like protectively reach her arm out towards him as the doors were closing. (laughs) Yes. I like it. It's good. I forgot how much I missed the Alex and Wynn sibling Mm, energy. My favorite space fan moment might actually be toward the end of the scene when Wynn, our Wynn, first appears and they find out that he has a wife and a daughter. (laughs) And I just skipped that scene because their faces finding out that like Wynn's like kind of all grown up (laughs) and has like a family and a baby reminded me how much I love the character, which was nice. Aw, yes. That part was cute too. And that's the game night with all... All of the new characters who are present taken into consideration and all of that. Who would be the reigning champ? Let's go back to Django because <laughs> we both had kind of the same reaction <laughs> yes. to who wouldn't be the reigning champ. <laughs> oh, Kara. Yeah, I think that Alex is probably right. Kara would not be very good at Jenga. Mm-hmm. I mean, she had to like practice petting like a cat. It's like a lot to ask. <laughs> you know? Yeah. One wrong move and that Jenga board is across the room. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Although we were saying it would be really fun to see Jean and Kara have a game night where they get to use their powers yes. and like compete against each other. Any and all cheating allowed. Paintball would also be fun. Oh, that would be fun. But let's see, who would be the actual Jenga champion? I think Alex because I feel like she has the steadiest hand. Hmm. Interesting. True. Or maybe Jean. Jean and Alex would be like neck and neck, I think. I, it would be funny too because <laughs> Jean can like phase through through things. <laughs> he could cheat a little bit. I mean, he wouldn't, but or he could. Or would he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or would he? It depends on if he wants to like mess with them in like a dad joke kind of way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but let's see. Any other games? I feel like for some reason, Kara would be really good at Monopoly. <laughs> Interesting. Something huh. about it, like it's like a long-term game and she would have the most focus and energy. <laughs> Brainy's not there, but I feel like Brainy would own Monopoly. Hmm. You know, if you calculate the odds of what the dice will roll and then strategically plan like what to buy, hmm. you'll kill everyone. Uh, 
<laughs> Brainy would win a lot of games, probably. He would win a lot of games. If he cheats that way. That is true. And then if we were talking like Pictionary, there I think Kara would definitely take the lead because she is the most artistic mm. in terms of drawing, as far as we know. Yeah. She probably also understands structures very well. Like like using <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those times that she solders things with her eyes. Yeah. Not just because she often <laughs> destroys them, but like, you know, her different kinds of supervision. True. Yeah. And just having <laughs> practice and understanding of maybe anatomy and, you know, other sorts of things. Now I'm picturing her like reading a phrase and then like scanning around to look for the item <laughs> like through the walls across the street <laughs> yes with powers there are ways to cheat in these games that we can't even anticipate <laughs> when we were looking at this question we ended up accidentally taking a turn and talking about how we both wanted to see jean do like an, a stand-up comedy set <laughs> at the alien bar I, yes that's not a game but but he'd win it, it'd be awesome <laughs> yes <laughs> they could play whose line is it anyway <laughs> that'd be fun like you couldn't show that on the tv show but it'd <laughs> be so goofy and like that's great it would oh the cast oh that would be amazing <laughs> can they do something like that at their next sdcc like group event don't even give us news about the next season <laughs> just do like improv games <laughs> Well, because Nicole keeps posting clips of like some of the cast having game nights, mm. and I'm like, I need them all together for a real video where we can see correctly. Yeah. And it should be in character because that would just be deeply funny. <laughs> you know what Brainy and Kara would dominate at? Huh? That game Seen It. <laughs> oh, like trivia? Trivia for movies and TV shows. Yeah, they would. <laughs> Although Kara watches a lot of her television and film with Alex, so fair. she could maybe give them a run for her money, but yeah. in, in terms she of- great memory though <laughs> i was gonna say in terms of eventual endurance and ability to remember things Kara mm -hmm. and brainy would eventually <laughs> prevail depends how long you wanted the game to Unless go there's like a surprise kardashian <laughs> segment <laughs> it's true and on that note we have a break we do. So this was part one of Back from the Future, and we won't get part two for two more weeks, just in time for Valentine's Day, yep. which if you saw the teaser for the episode, it is leaning hard into that holiday theme, yes. I guess, to compensate for the fact that we didn't get a Thanksgiving episode <laughs> this year. <laughs> so, He's like, that's not an exchange I'm happy with. <laughs> bring me back my family holidays. Uh, <laughs> no, but like they tend to pick the holidays that are really generic for the most part. Yeah. So that part's always fun. <laughs> so we're going to take a break until the next episode comes back in two weeks. Mm -hmm. If you have questions about that episode or any other episode, you can send them to us at Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at SupergirlsAttic. You could even leave us a comment on iTunes. Yeah. Like Toy Man Win, we appreciate <laughs> likes, reviews, and subscriptions. So <laughs> it's part of our sinister plan for world domination. <laughs> Correct. So we'll see you for part two. And thanks for listening. 